Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is powered by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 20. We post new episodes every week, so make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite podcasters who has several different podcasts. He hosts If I Were You with Jake Hurwitz, which is an advice podcast that's really funny. He also hosts a basketball podcast called Buckets. They also produce great content on their Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash JA. My guest is Amir Blumenfeld. Now, before Amir hosted his podcast, he used to be in a fantastic web series called Jake and Amir. He's done a number of other great projects as well. Amir, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm doing all right. You know, hanging in there. I'm excited to have you on because I've been talking to my wife about NBA Top Shot recently and she doesn't want to hear about it anymore. I've annoyed her. She does not want to hear about how my Ish Smith uh, moment is doing. So to have someone else who is obsessed with Top Shot on, it's exciting because, you know, you actually want, you know, you, I know you've been spending a ton of time on the website too. The other day, it's funny when I heard on your guys' podcast, if I were you, you started talking about with Jake and he was like, oh, this sounds right up your alley. Have you thought about buying a moment? And you're like, have I thought about it? I'm way ahead of you. (laughs) It reminded me so much of my conversation with my wife. Like, oh, I already have a lot of moments, but (laughs) uh, so it's yeah. great, to, great to have someone else on to nerd out about this. Of course. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. We are a strong 200,000 people scattered across the globe, proud and loud. It's crazy too, like how quickly it's blowing up. Because I know like in December, they said they had 30,000 users and then they did an endorsement deal with Tyler Hero and it doubled. And then in the last month or two, it's really blown up. So real quick, we'll get into kind of when you found it and talk more about it in a second. But for those who don't know, NBA Top Shot, it's a blockchain-based platform where you can buy and sell moments. They're essentially digital trading cards. You know, you can buy a highlight, which is, a you know, basically a LeBron James dunk or a John Morant assist or a JaVale McGee block. And every moment is numbered. So you know how rare it is. So some are one of 500, some are one of you know, 15,000, uh, but yeah, it's still pretty new, but they're blow- it's blowing up. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard about it by now. Uh, some are selling for like $200,000. Uh, it's essentially like a digital trading card, but you were actually pretty early to it. Like, I, I feel like I heard about it when it was first launching because I was kind of monitoring it to think, okay, this could be an interesting article. And back then they put, they would like make packs available and they were available for like two weeks and no one was even buying them. So I kicked myself for not getting in back then. But I know you found that yeah. you, know, you started buying in January. So like, when did you kind of hear about it or how did you hear about it? I think my buddy, Billy, who I do my basketball podcast with, uh, we're into like the crypto trading card situation uh, all year. And so uh, when this came about, he's like, have you heard of Top Shot? I'm like, no, what's that? And he told me about it, I think in early January. And I'm like, oh no, this is going to be the beginning <laughs> of the end for us. This is just my <laughs> final form. It's everything we've been training for without the idea of knowing that we were training for this one moment. Uh, and so I was like, let's just see what this is about. I'll buy a JaVale McGee dunk for 40 bucks and I'll try to sell it for 45. And then I'd be like, oh, I made 10%. And maybe that 45, I can then flip to a $50 moment. And uh, within like a few days, I sold my JaVale McGee for 45. I'm like, oh, that's pretty convenient. I guess there's people that are active on this marketplace. And uh, in like the last, yeah, like you said, two weeks, like the moments went fast and fierce and everything was blowing up and now everything is coming back down and it's, I'm excited to see where we plateau again. Yeah. Like when I first joined, I think it was like the first week of February, probably maybe late January, but 
that you could buy some moments for like $3, you know, some of the, the players who are bench guys or like end of rotation guys now. So there's been times where the cheapest moments are like 25 bucks. It's just completely blown up yeah. and you see more and more players are tweeting about it. Uh, it's been kind of crazy to watch it take off over the course of a few weeks. And I feel like, you know, I want to ask you about this because every time I've sold some of my moments, I've kicked myself later. One of the first big things that I did with Top Shot was me and four buddies. We 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 bought a legendary pack together. So we each, we each put like two hundred dollars in and bought the nine hundred ninety nine dollar pack, and we had like a legendary Rudy Gobert, and we sold it for I think it was four thousand dollars, and we were like celebrating. We're thinking, okay, we all just made money. You know, yeah. We didn't. We this is amazing. And then <laughs> like three days later, it's going for like nine thousand five hundred dollars. So and we were kicking ourselves. Have you sold moments and then kick, you know found yourself a few days later kicking yourself? Uh, no, I try not to look back just because everything that I buy or anything that I sell, I reinvest. So like yeah. if I sell a moment too early, then I put it into another moment. And if that moment goes down, then the entire marketplace goes down. As long as my money is in this ecosystem in some capacity, uh, I can't get too mad at myself. What I am, uh, the thing that I kick myself most is just like, instead of testing it out with like $40, if I just tested it out with like $400, then like that would have probably become $10,000, $15,000 by now. But you know what? You can't, you can't get mad at yourself. If you, if you invested your life savings in any harebrained scheme at any given moment, you, you'll have been bankrupt by now. So it's okay to proceed with caution like we've all done. See, I know you guys talked about this on your episode of Buckets about Top Shot, but you know, you guys both have invested in cryptocurrency in the past, but I'm new to this. Like I, I didn't really get into cryptocurrency. So this is my first time entering this world, but because you got into Bitcoin pretty early and crypto pretty early, um, I guess, do you see similarities between this and what are some things you learned from that experience that you're kind of applying now? Totally. Yeah. This, this whole Top Shot thing reminds me of Bitcoin was one thing like hearing about it in like 2014 and 2015 when it was like when it went from like $300 to $600 and everyone was freaking out, why not sell? You're like, you've doubled your money. That's the most you can ask for. Uh, and then in 20, the end of 2017, there was this huge surge in altcoins, alternative cryptocurrencies that like everyone wanted, like Bitcoin flew up to 20,000 and everyone wanted to know like, all right, what's, what's now worth only $1 that like I can buy 10,000 of that will hopefully become the next Bitcoin. And so like Ethereum blew up and Litecoin and then even smaller ones that didn't mean anything started blowing up. Like Ripple, which was selling at like five cents per coin was shot up to like $3 per coin. And everyone was like uh, heavily investing and pretending like they're experts and all these like uh, weird cryptocurrencies that nobody really understood what they were used for, if anything at all, like stuff like Tron went from one penny to two penny. And if you bought a million of them, then you had two million of them the next day. Uh, it's It reminded me a lot of what's, what's going on with Top Shot now is all these people in the Discord being like, this is crazy. My DeMar DeRozan is worth $60. Tomorrow it's going to be worth 120. Like it's such under, it's so undervalued. And then the next day, because the market got hot, it was worth $120. And that guy became uh, an expert. He's like, see, I told you, I know which ones are undervalued. And then it's like, okay, the next day I'm going to convince 10 more idiots to buy this Bismack Biombo block. And then one day <laughs> all that money disappears. And it's like, wait, but you told me. And then he's like, yeah, I guess I wasn't necessarily right. I just accidentally predicted what did happen. And these guys who are so-called experts don't really know anything. And so I see a lot of similarities between that era of altcoins and this era of top shot. 
That makes a lot of sense. It, it sounds like me talking to my wife, like, no, you don't understand. Terrence Ross is going to tweet about this again. So we're great. It's going to be, it's going to double tomorrow. <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. And then, you know, yeah, exactly. none of us really know what we're doing. Yeah. We're just guessing and crossing our fingers basically. Exactly. But I, I we have a and similar it's like, strategy. It's what they say that everybody's a, everybody's a genius in a bull market. Like I'm telling you, these three stocks are going to double. And it's like, yeah, every stock's double. Right. Like, See, but I was right. And suddenly you're <laughs> the genius. So. Yeah, that, that's but yeah, yeah let's very hear your similar. Tips. Well, no, I was going to say we have a similar strategy because, you know, I, I also use evaluate.market. You mentioned this on your podcast. And then I agree with you. I think the biggest thing, I don't think a player's performance necessarily, you know, dictates, you know, that much. I, I don't think you should really go off of that. I feel like, like you, the user base growing is the big thing to watch because, and we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think once the NBA is behind this and once stars are tweeting about it, because right now you have Terrence Ross and Josh Hart and some of these players, you know, putting it out there or, you know, they're, they're talking about it. But once you have the superstars talking about it, the NBA getting behind it, because there's so much money to be made. Like there's a, it's, it's very possible a year from now we're watching NBA games and there's top shot commercials that are, you know, airing. Or if you go to the arena and you buy a ticket, you get a special top shot because you're at the game and you get a, you know, a moment from that game. Like, I really feel like the NBA has a lot to gain from this. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. Uh, and again, we, we just talked about how much the user base grew from December to now. I feel like that's the thing, you know, to hold until, you know, 500,000 people are on uh, on top shot or until the NBA is kind of behind it. So that's kind of what I'm waiting for. So that's your strategy too, right? Basically wait for more users. Yeah, exactly. You're not like necessarily investing in specific moments. You're just like peppering it all around this roulette table and hoping that more people show up to buy more moments. So I'm I'm focusing more on like the LeBron James. And if if the entire marketplace goes up 3x, then I'm sure LeBron James will be a good bellwether for that. I'm not necessarily saying, you know what? Um, this guy might be in the dunk contest. And so if I buy Cassius Stanley and he does something interesting, then I can sell this $20 moment for 35. I'm more interested in like, what's the what's the lowest serial Joel Embiid I can buy so that in a year, if he wins MVP and there's a million people on <laughs> top shot instead of 100,000, this one will be worth 10 times as much. Now, are you worried about the market and kind of what's happened with it recently? Because it was kind of for a while there, it was soaring every day. They were breaking records as far as number of sales and stuff like that. And it looked like it was blowing up. And it was after certain people like Mark Cuban and Gary Vee and some other influencers kind of talked about it. So I think it pushed a lot of people to the site. But the last few days have been kind of quiet. Are you worried about that? Or is that just something that we can you kind of expect? There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, I think... Uh... I, ideally, I would have liked it to go up more before it went down, but yeah, it's it's totally to be expected. A lot of people just got into it because their friends were like, I bought this Damian Lillard three that was $200 and now it's $600. You can do the same. And that person got in and bought the Damian Lillard three and the 600 became a thousand. And then he told three friends and it's like, look, we're just, we're all making money. And I have friends that are in Top Shot. They don't know anything about basketball. They're not like... Yes, I, I really think that the partnership between this and the NBA Players Association is a fruitful one and it's going to get more people. They're like, no, I think that the numbers have gone up and if I can sell it at a profit, I will. And when that's when that factor went away, it you know, you see it in the in the marketplace, the blockchain, everything's public knowledge. You can see that uh, 120,000 transactions happened a week ago today and today there's only like 15,000 transactions like nobody's buying really because the prices are down and nobody's selling really because the prices are down a lot of people are sort of holding and waiting and seeing to see if there's gonna have this other peak moment that's gonna happen maybe the all-star game maybe Luca gets involved maybe LeBron does a twitch stream or whatever the hell we're all sort of holding 
building and waiting and seeing right now, it seems. I feel like there is, you do have a big advantage though. If you are an NBA fan, you watch a lot of games because, and you're right. There's a lot of people on here that don't care about basketball or know much about basketball. They're just kind of following the trend and saying, okay, I'm investing my money in this. And I hope it just keeps soaring because every, like you, you know, like you mentioned before, every moment was doubling, tripling in price for a bit there. But I feel like if you do have, if you do have NBA knowledge, and I know you watch a lot of basketball, um, you, you talked about in your podcast too, you guys play like DFS and like FanDuel and stuff. So I think if you have that knowledge base, it helps because you can kind of identify certain players that, you know, maybe a year from now they will be breaking out a bit or getting a bigger opportunity. And granted, like you said, you don't really want to target specific guys like, oh, next week they're playing a bad defense. So uh, they're going to have a big game and I can sell. But just generally knowing which players are kind of trending in the right direction, I think is helpful. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Like, but, you know, it's uh, knowing that kind of stuff is almost as good as like knowing very little and saying, Oh, I've heard of LeBron James. I'll just buy his card. That's like, true. Okay. <laughs> so you, you did just as good as this guy who crunched the analytics and realized that uh, Chris Paul was going to be favored over Devin Booker and spent a lot of money on a Chris Paul card and didn't go up as much as um, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, John Moran. That's a good point. I don't yeah. think you have to know too much. Yeah, that's true. Like, especially, I mean, the stars, I think the ones that are going to hold the longest, you know, long-term value, they're going to hold their value over time. So that's a good point. Um, but you're, you're into like the traditional trading cards too, right? You, you've collected a lot of those and you got, I know you, on your podcast, you talked about getting like a John Morant rookie card before this season. Yeah. Are, are you big on trading cards too? Yeah. Uh, only recently, like just from, again, like people talking about the prices going up, got me interested and trying to collect basketball cards again. And I bought some like John Morant and uh, Jason Tatum and Bam Adebayo, like players that I thought were going to be all-stars in the next few years that weren't necessarily all-stars before. Um, so I've been sort of dabbling with that and it's fun to get into. And then I started buying, here, I'll show you. I bought this one, which is reminiscent of my childhood. This is a 1992 Fleer Charles Barkley. Oh, nice. He's in a Sixers jersey but it's a son's trading card. Oh, that's awesome. Like, oh, this will be a fun one to own. And it's like, it's a, it's an obscure basketball card from 30 years ago. So there's not a lot of, a ton of these and it's not super expensive either. I think this one was like 50 bucks. Um, so I'm expanding my trading card repertoire as well. Yeah. I would say I have a lot of cards from when I was younger that they're not graded or anything like that, but I've seen people talk about just how the trading card industry is kind of blowing up. So I want to revisit, you know, look at my old collections and like binders and stuff like that and see if there's anything worth, you know, that's valuable in there. But um, I guess what are, from what you've kind of seen uh, based on, you know, you getting back into trading cards, what are some of the biggest ways that this is different? You know, top shot and traditional trading cards are different. And I know you mentioned on your podcast the other day that this is kind of hurting trading cards, that industry. You're seeing the prices go down on those because people are kind of jumping into top shot and using their money there instead. I think that's interesting too, the way that yeah. this could potentially, you know, shift a lot of people over to uh, digital trading cards instead of, you know, the traditional ones. Yeah, I think it's already started to happen. You start to see a little bit of a dip. The trading cards had their surge just like Top Shots did, just on a much slower scale because you have to look on eBay and do an auction and then win and then get it sent to you in the mail. And, you know, everything is slowed down with Top Shot. Everything is hyper fast and instant. Like, oh, I want this John Morant dunk. Give it to me for $4,000. Okay, it's mine. Now I can sell it literally two minutes later for $4,500. All right, that's done. Whereas that transaction could take days, weeks uh, with traditional playing cards. One thing that I'm curious to hear your answer to, because a lot of people have asked me like, oh, well, isn't this just 
a YouTube video or a GIF. Like, why am I paying for a highlight that I don't really own? The NBA owns it. And like the way that it was explained to me, because I had the same questions early on. I was thinking, I was kind of making fun of it initially. And then a week later, I had spent all this money. Uh, but it was basically told me like, hey, you know, if you, you can Google Michael Jordan rookie card on Google Images and you can print it out, but that has no value. The actual card is what has value because, you know, collectors want it. There, there's a certain number of them. So there's a market for it. And, you know, it was basically told to me, these are digital trading cards. So, you know, you know how rare it is based on the serial number. And we know there's a market for it based on the fact that some of these things are going for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or, you know, to a lesser extent, at least thousands of dollars. Because the ones I think that have went for like six figures have been pretty rare. There's only a handful of those. But basically that's how it explained to me. Like, you know, just because you print out a, a trading card on Google images doesn't mean you actually have the card. What would you say to people who have that question? Like, oh, why would I invest in basically a YouTube highlight? Yeah, I think the answer is the val the val it's valuable because somebody's willing to pay for it. Like if you print out a picture of Michael Jordan, nobody's going to give you $60,000 for that picture. If you want to sell something for $60,000, you have to buy a $30,000 card and maybe wait a year or two. So things have value when the marketplace says they have value. Um, these moments on Top Shot are actually worth stuff to people. Nobody's buying a YouTube link off of you, but we're seeing that people are spending 15,000, 50,000, 100,000, $207,000 on these Top Shot moments. So they have value because they're valuable and the market is dictating that. Yeah. Early on, I think I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense to me. But then I also realized like, oh, well, I was the guy that was very close minded about like streaming, like who's going to watch someone else play video games and stuff like that. So I had to like take my old person boomer glasses off <laughs> and be like, OK, let me be open minded. And then I actually started understanding it a bit more like when I talk to people. So I think if you're open minded about it, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, I would say uh, it definitely takes away from the, your productivity. Uh, <laughs> it's been I've been spending a lot of time on the site. You too? Yeah. Yeah. Too much time. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an addiction at this point, but it is a lot of fun and hopefully it's an addiction that makes us some money. <laughs> um, but I want to yeah, ask that'd you, be fun. yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, I know you're a Lakers fan. Uh, you yes. guys, you, you guys, uh, you, you tweet about them often. You guys had Rick Fox on your show back in the day, which was awesome. And, uh, that's all correct. Yeah. He came on yeah, several yeah. episodes and it was, it was amazing. But when did you fall in love with the Lakers? Do you remember, was there a specific year, a specific team that made you fall in love with that team? It was, I remember hearing that the Lakers and Bulls were in the finals when I was uh, six years old, or no, I was seven at the time in 1990, 91. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Michael Jordan versus Magic Johnson. I didn't really know who these players were. And then the next year I started watching Laker games just because they were, you know, on local TV, channel nine and prime ticket. Uh, so I would say like the first year or two that I really uh, started watching every Laker game was that like 93, 94 season where it was like the post Magic Johnson, like the pre Nick Van Exel was like Sedale three, James Worthy still, Eldon Campbell that year. And then by the time I was like 10, 11, 12, when fandom is like at an all time high, then you start getting like Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, Cedric Sabalos. And then I turn 13 and we get Kobe and Shaq. And it's like, oh, game over from there. Like it really timed perfectly with my puberty base. It's my basketball puberty that like I dabbled with like exciting younger teams. And then I got into more exciting teams than when I was 11 and 12. And then by age 13, we had the best players. And then by 17 and 18, like you couldn't time it better. We had a championship team. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That, I, and I at that like, point you're hooked for life. Right. Yeah, exactly. So does it annoy you then when you see like bandwagon fans and you're like, no, I've been here since the beginning. I'm not one of the people that just jumped on, you know, uh, during the Kobe Shaq years or like after the team already blew up. I mean, obviously the Lakers had had success when you joined, you know, when you became a fan too, but do the bandwagon fans that sometimes jump onto the Lakers annoy you? No, not at all. I'm a, I'm a fan of every Laker fan. Uh, whether you joined because we got LeBron or you joined because we were terrible when Lob City was dominating LA or you're new to Los Angeles and you want to choose us versus the Clippers. Um, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing or looking down on uh, any Laker fan. There's not a lot of bandwagon Laker fans. It seems like a lot of the Laker fans I know were fans uh, because they lived in LA growing up. All my friends, for example, nobody was a Clippers fan growing up. Cause like you don't root for, Danny Manning and Loy Vaught over like Magic Johnson and AC Green. That <laughs> right. didn't happen to any like nine-year-olds. Uh, yeah, I guess it was more so, LeBron fans moving over, you know, but you're right. Yeah. You know, most Laker fans are, you know, that, that consider themselves actual fans of the team have been there for a while. That's true. Yeah. And if you're a LeBron fan, I totally get that too. Like LeBron's the fucking man. And I would also be a fan of his. And I know a lot of Cleveland fans that are now rooting for the Lakers because they want LeBron to get his fifth and sixth title. And hell yeah. So yeah. do I. No, for sure. So what was it like? I mean, having Rick Fox then work with you guys, like, I, I think, uh, I think I read somewhere that, you know, his daughter was a fan of the series and that's how you guys got him. But what was that like to be a huge Laker fan and have Rick Fox showing up in multiple episodes? At first it was like super nerve wracking. Cause yeah, like you talk about the Lakers three P team, it was Kobe Shaq one and two, and then Fox and Ori and Derek Fisher. And it's like, all right, one of those five guys that formed your basketball fandom for five seasons at its height wants to be in a silly internet video with you and i'm like uh okay yeah sure you know and i'm trying to play it cool and i just don't want to be like gushing fanboy over it and then try to like shoot a comedy video with him but like by the second and third time we shot with him it just felt like we were kind of friends and he was so funny and so talented and the fans liked him which made it easier for us to act silly with him and he's just a he's a great dude as like you would think he is like he's actually that Cool. He's also tall and handsome and really good at basketball and was a three-time world champion. Seems like everything he touches turns to gold. You want to be in Rick Fox's orbit. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, he seemed very open to doing whatever you guys wanted, like, you know, uh, the totally. chicken stuff and the eggs. <laughs> like, he was down to do whatever. I love it. He was totally down. And he's, yeah, he was great about everything. I have no negative things to say about Rick Fox. I don't know if anybody does, but probably not. Do I. He's the man. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this year's Lakers team? Obviously, you know, their defense has been incredible. They were dominating. The Anthony Davis injury really sucks. I was so impressed that they got off to such a strong start because, you know, obviously they had barely any time off, short offseason after winning a championship. LeBron, for whatever, he's not human. I mean, he can just play nonstop, it seems, without any break. Uh, but and then they had new new pieces, too. And for a lot of teams that had, you know, new players and were trying to get guys acclimated, it, they kind of had a hard time because, there weren't a lot of practices this year. The schedule made things difficult, yet they got off to this awesome start. You know, they, fortunately, the AD injury isn't too severe, but what are your thoughts on how the team's playing right now? They're playing great. I mean, the AD injury was, the terrible timing of that was that Schroeder also like had to go into the COVID protocol like that exact week. And like he was our number two playmaker once LeBron is off the court. So to lose AD and Schroeder over the first week was like, as you guys, as you saw, like we couldn't win games like that. Uh, Schroeder comes back and we start winning games again. That's not a coincidence. If we can keep winning with LeBron and Dennis sort of, sort of holding down the fort and then um, add Anthony Davis by the playoffs, 
I'm, you know, I'm one of those guys where it's like, let's take it super conservatively. If, if you're feeling good, great. Let's wait another month. There's literally no reason to risk anything. Like, let's get you in peak physical condition. And I think that goes for LeBron too. We should rest him the last two weeks of the season, start the playoffs with probably the best roster uh, in the NBA. And I like our chances. Yeah, I totally agree. I would be so conservative with Anthony Davis. You know, you're playing for a larger goal at this point. You, you're coming off of, again, uh, a finals run. And that was the deepest. I mean, AD hadn't been on a playoff run like that. So I think exactly, you're really careful yeah. with him and, yeah, not push him or anything. And then, yeah, with LeBron, too, like I hear a lot of Laker fans are like, we want LeBron to get MVP. And I totally get that. Like, it would be cool for him to get one last MVP and, and all that. But I feel like like you're saying, it's almost smarter to just rest him and make sure he's good to go for the playoffs. So you can try to, you know, go back to back. Cause that's obviously the more important goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, this team, whenever AD was healthy, it kind of felt like they were going at like 80%. They were coasting and still winning a ton of games. And then there were those yeah. moments when we saw them at hundred percent and it was like, Oh shit, this team is incredible. Yeah. Um, but that's <laughs> another reason why they can just kind of coast like, and, and be conservative with this. Cause they don't really, I mean, we, they win a lot of games, even when they're not at a hundred percent or trying at their hardest, it seems. Exactly. There's also no like huge, um, amazing team. That's like scaring us. Like last year, I was kind of scared of Milwaukee, kind of scared of the Clippers this year. Those two teams have taken a step back, Utah, Brooklyn. I'm not too concerned about them. Like Utah, you know, it's a great regular season team. I'm not worried about seeing them in the playoffs and Brooklyn doesn't, play defense at all right now. So if we make it to the finals and face them, I'm not too worried about that either. I guess the team I'm worried the most about is Philly. But yeah, if you were to give me the, the two options of, do you think Philly will make it out of the East or any other team, I would probably take the field. Yeah, it's tough to, it's, I think with the, the Jazz, I do think they're benefiting a lot from the circumstances of the season. The fact that they had so much continuity and chemistry already, you know, it really helped in the same coaching staff back and everything like that. I think it helps them that there's not a lot of practice time. The schedule is so weird. So for some teams, they're trying to get guys acclimated and, and figure things out on the fly a bit. Whereas Utah is like, no, we're good. We've been, <laughs> we have the same team essentially. So I think that helps them a little bit as well. And then, yeah, I agree with you. I think with Brooklyn, it depends what they can really do with the trade deadline or with the buyout market. Um, obviously they're going to be trying to add defense and front court depth, uh, you know, but as currently constructed, I have a lot of concerns about Brooklyn too. Because I mean, Brooklyn has to go against Philly too. And I, I do think Joel Embiid's a horrible matchup for them. Like, I'm not sure how they could possibly who slow down Embiid. Jeff Green, like who they right. have literally nobody. Yeah. And yeah, DeAndre Jordan just does not look the same these days. So, and it's, you know, I, I don't think you can rely on him very much. So I guess with the Lakers though, what are you hoping they do at the trade deadline or around buyout season. Cause I feel like the Lakers, they're, they always have such a compelling pitch to guys that are bought out. It's like, Hey, come to LA, <laughs> you know, join the Lakers, play with LeBron and AD. You can win a championship. It's a beautiful, you know, beautiful weather. Like they, you guys always land buyout players. It feels like you, and now the Clippers in recent years too, have like, they have that compelling pitch of being in LA as well. But you know, last year was Markeith Morris. You guys have always attracted that kind of talent. You know, are there any certain guys Not you have your that. eyes on? I think we need another seven footer and we just signed that kid out of the, G League, or maybe he was waived, but Damian Jones, yeah. I think it is. Like, we need a JaVale McGee. We need a, a rim runner. We need a guy who can protect the paint, who can play like a backup center guard, the Robin Lopez's of the world. Cause, like, right now, if Gasol is out, like he is tonight, we have no seven footer except for this kid that we just signed. He might not play either. So it's like, okay, can we trot out Markeith Morris and hope that he can slow down Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid? Probably not. Uh, so the buyout market, I think will have some options for us. And we not only have the pitch of come to LA, potentially win a championship, play with LeBron, but it's like, 
get your value really high and somebody will offer you a contract next year. Like, look what we did to Ray John Rondo. Look what we did with Dwight Howard. Um, we proved these players worth and they were able to extend their career for another year or two and get paid. Yeah. Agents have always told their players that like, Hey, go play in LA, be on national TV a ton, get all the exposure and then basically bet on yourself. And then the following off season, yeah, you're a free agent. You can go get paid. I've seen a lot of agents kind of use that with play with their players. Uh, Cause you're the exposure. You get incredible. If you play well there, everyone's going to notice you're on TV all the time. So yeah, that's a great point. Look how hard you have to play in Detroit. Like yeah. To be Christian Wood, you have to be a 2010 guy to get as much publicity as JaVale McGee did on the Lakers last year. Like you really have to shine. Um, so I'm, I think there'll be a seven footer out there for us. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, look at like Utah, even some of these teams even are playing well. They're on national TV like three times this year. So, or at least in the first half, they were on there three times. So yeah, it can be, it can be tough, you know, when you're trying to bet on yourself going to one of these teams, like, even if you feel like, Oh, this is a really good contender. This, the whole situation might not be as attractive as what a team like the Lakers can offer. So I'm curious to see what the buyout yeah. market holds. Like there's always players we don't expect that show up too. like, I don't think last year before the, buyout season, anyone was talking about Markeith Morris or Reggie Jackson, and they just became available. And all of a sudden, you know, teams were signing them. So there's always some surprises too, which, you know, makes it fun. Um, Man, I wanted the Lakers to get Reggie Jackson so bad. We were, I remember like back in January, like, God, if we can just get someone to play Rondo's minutes, like shows how little I know. I'm like, we just need anybody, <laughs> any positive player, like Darren Collison? Bradley and Reggie Jackson. Yes. Darren Collison, please. We need anybody. We didn't get anybody. We lost Avery Bradley and Rondo comes in and just fucking kills it for us. He was probably our third best player in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, he's incredible. I mean, playoff Rondo is absolutely real. And people were like, oh, yeah, but that was when he was younger. But then he was just like, nope, I'm still here and just dominated. It was that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Hitting threes and guarding their best player. Yeah. Uh, that was incredible. I want to ask you about uh, some of the projects that you've been a part of, because I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. I watched the web series. You know, we just talked about how like we spend way too much time on top shot. I would say you and Jake are definitely responsible for like many, many, many hours where I could have been way more productive between Jake wow. and Amir, Jake and Amir, watch Jake and Amir, uh, lonely and horny. <laughs> if I were you buckets, like I, I I've definitely spent tons of time not doing schoolwork, uh, not doing things that I had to be doing for work. Like I, I've just binged watched the show. So I, again, I appreciate you doing this, but I, well, I feel thank like you. And I'm sorry. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, so I want to ask you, like, I feel like you guys are really ahead of the curve on podcasting. Cause I remember when you guys first announced, if I were you, I wasn't listening to any podcast then. Like I, that was like oh, one wow. of the first podcasts that like, I really opened up the Apple pod or I guess at that point, iTunes app for, and like downloaded, I feel like you guys, I mean, maybe that was because I wasn't as familiar with it, but you know, it feels like you guys kind of got into that space early too. I mean, we talked about you being early with crypto stuff where do you guys feel like you were, I mean, and then obviously with HeadGum and everything you've launched there, but you know, I feel like you were really ahead of the curve on podcasting, but maybe that's just my perception. Do you feel like you guys got there early? I feel we do now, like it, just like Top Shot, just like crypto. Like if you're in that community, you always feel like you're late. Like I was really into comedy and alt nerd and stuff and YouTube and stuff. So like I knew about podcasts since like 2011. And so when we started one in 2013, it's like, what am I doing? We're two years late. Kind of like how I feel, oh, I got into Top Shot. What am I doing in February? Like, this is already three months late. But like in seven years of Top Shot still around, people are going to be like, you got into it. And like when it's first started, like yeah. February of 2021. So you're always late to some people and early to other people, depending on who you're talking to. So yeah, at the time it felt a little late and now it feels uh, like we got in at the right time. 
with Jake and Amir, I mean, that was such a huge web series. And one thing that I always noticed was your fans were super passionate. Like you guys would do these live shows and, and just get tons of support. And I mean, your fans, literally, if you go to like any YouTube video that you guys like put up any of your videos, it's just tons of people, you know, rhyming and like speaking in your language, basically, like you guys created like a, yeah. your own language almost. So was there a certain moment when you realized like, wow, this is really resonating with people. This is really getting big. Uh, I think when we started putting our videos on college humor, like at first they were just sort of on our personal YouTube or Vimeo channels, even before YouTube. Um, and when we put them on college humor's homepage, we were getting like hundreds of thousands of views just from that exposure. And we would do these shows at UCB and people would come out. That's like when we started noticing like, Oh, more than just our family and friends are watching these videos. <laughs> uh, yeah. So probably around 2008 or so we started, we fe we felt like, the audience was growing for those. And I have to ask you this because you're here. I was so excited for a Jake and Amir TV show whenever that was like yeah. rumored and stuff like that. Like I know there was talk about like Ed Helms being involved and you guys had him as Mickey on the show. So I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I know, I think you talked about it with, I think it was like Josh Rubin. Uh, you talked about it a little bit in a podcast about kind of what happened and everything. Um, but I, or at least you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. I mean, I, I was just so disappointed. I'm sure a ton of fans out there want to see it as well. So what was, what, what kind of happened with that whole situation? Cause it, it ended up working out cause you guys did your own thing and started lonely and horny and, you know, head gum and all that. So it worked out, but I mean, at that time, what, what ended up happening there? We shot a pilot for like true TV. So we expanded the universe to be like more of a sitcom with like me and Jake as two of the, like the main six characters in this, silly buzzfeedy type office situation and then by the time we shot the pilot and edited it and gave it to true tv like the executives there change and the mandate changes and they're like yeah this is funny but we don't necessarily need like a sitcom right now we wanted like an audience that's a little bit older and we tested it out and the audience that watches impractical jokers are all over 40 and the 40 year olds didn't respond to this it's all all the stuff that makes me cynical about te television development anyway. Yeah. Uh, so for a myriad of reasons, whether it wasn't funny enough or it wasn't a good fit, or by the time we made it, it was too late and the people left, it never worked out at true TV. And the way it works is like, if one person says no, then nobody else wants it. Cause nobody, no other channel wants another channels like rejects. So you have to start from scratch. So then how nice was it with Lonely and Horny to be able to just do your own thing and not really have to answer to anyone, whether it was a college humor or a true TV or anything like that, just to be basically independent, you know, you're starring in it, Jake was in it. And also I know directing, you know, some of the episodes. Yep. So well, how nice was that? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, the pros and cons are like, yeah, we did have full artistic license to do whatever we want. We didn't get any notes from any overlords. So we didn't have to placate any um, TV networks. And then the downside is, instead of making uh, enough money that you can make 10, 30 minute episodes, we had a smaller budget that we had to scrap together and make uh, 10, 10 minute episodes. So we were ultimately happy with how it turned out, but we would have loved to do more. And then just one or two more things on this. I feel like your chemistry with Jake is awesome. Like even on your podcast now, you guys like just jump in and out of like characters and like you, you, you're great at improving together. I mean, it's not a surprise. You guys have been doing this for so long, but when did, I mean, you guys were, I, I know friends before you started making these videos and stuff like that, but when did you kind of realize you had that connection or chemistry to kind of create this web series that ended up blowing up? Um, it was, I mean, it was evident right off the bat. Like we were, 
fast friends and we've had very similar uh, sensibilities and sense of humors. And because we were working with all of our friends, we would hang out 24 seven. And then at a certain point, we also lived together. So like we were just getting our comedy reps in as it were working together, hanging out together, writing together. Um, it was maximum exposure, which helped the chemistry as well. And then how has COVID kind of changed what you guys do? Because I know you guys are on, you know, different parts of the country and doing everything online. I mean, we're doing this online right now over Zoom. So everyone that's doing podcasts has kind of had to adjust, but running HeadGum, doing, you know, Jake and Amir, watch Jake and Amir. How has COVID kind of changed things for you? Yeah, everything is online. Everything is in here. You have to like find ways to switch up your day and keep active or else you'll go crazy. Every week feels like it's the same week 50 times in a row. So we're starting to go a little insane a little depressing sometimes because you're just in the slog or every every two weeks there's a new challenge whether it's like oh now in la the sky is on fire and you can't go outside because there's wildfires or now there's a even bigger uh, covid spike and you can't even go to the supermarket anymore you have to wear two masks when you walk out the election was its own own separate thing like it feels like every two to three weeks there's a new gut punch but you know what we're still here um we're we're adapting on the go as we need to do and uh we're excited to hopefully i mean i haven't i literally haven't seen jake in a year we just have been on two different coasts zooming and that's by far the longest time we've had apart but it doesn't feel like it because you know we're zooming literally every day i like that you guys with the election did the morning after episode just like you had morning after trump you did morning after and it's kind of fun to kind of be able to look back on that and see years from now oh here's exactly how we were feeling uh and i know this one was a lot happier than the one four years ago but i think that was really cool you guys did that i I think if trump would have won this election it would have been like uh kicked my personal depression into like complete overdrive like to have like finishing that marathon and then like at the end like to have an entire country filled with people like saying yes four more years of that i think it would have like my brain would have melted out of my ears i would have been like so despondent and like this is no longer my country like i don't even want to be here anymore i don't even know what i would have done so like the biden victory was such a huge relief and like exactly what we needed after a terrible year no absolutely i gotta give you guys credit too i feel like you've done a really good job of adapting you know you had your live show virtually i know you guys were doing some things like uh quiplash and stuff like that with guests so like you've done a good job of like transitioning and even all your not only podcasts but these web series like jake and amir watch jake and amir you've transitioned them and made them work you know uh digitally so or you know virtually so props to you guys for being able to transition and be able to do that because your live show was a big success i would definitely recommend everyone Go to jakeandamir.com and check out the live show that you guys did. But, you know, I think that's hard, that's hard to do. Continue to kind of have all these different shows and stuff like that in spite of everything going on around you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, in some ways, it's helpful to us as well as the audience. Like, we need something to look forward to, something to have fun doing. And Top Shot's been helpful in that regard. Like, yeah. a, a little bit of an escape and live shows have been done. And just we've been fortunate to keep our jobs and... I mean, I feel I'm not trying not to take I'm not, you know, on the front lines or an essential worker having to homeschool, homeschool three kids, like as hard as the year has been for me, it's been probably harder for literally everybody else in America. So I have nothing to complain about. No, that's a great point. Absolutely. By the way, I want to thank you for uh, introducing me to Ben Schwartz, Thomas Middleditch. Like there's a long list of people that I had never heard of until I watched your show. And then it's been crazy to see like, 
you know, been in movies and stuff now. And like, everyone knows who he is. And it's like, man, I remember when it was like just the Jake and Amir family kind of knew, I mean, I know they always had other projects and stuff they were doing. And I love that he still pops on your podcast and does your live show with you and stuff like that. But yeah, like that was really early on Ben Thomas. There's so many guys like that. I feel like we're discovered for a lot of us through that show. Yeah. That's been, I can't believe how many of our talented friends actually did make it in show business. We talk about like how hard it is to make it in television. Like Ben did our show before he had uh, many credits to his name and he's been kicking ass. And Thomas is now the star of a few shows himself. And we've been able to work with some super talented people that uh, have gone on to do some awesome things. No, absolutely. Well, I could talk to you for hours. I'm not going to keep bugging you uh, with all these questions. Uh, I appreciate your time for doing this, man. And uh, again, thank you for giving me someone to talk top shot with. Because uh, again, my, my yeah. wife is my wife is the only one I'm here with and she's just over it. So appreciate that. Yeah, there's only some. I mean, I'm almost over it. So I can only imagine what your wife is feeling right now. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, she's just done. Uh, everyone, make sure you check out uh, Jake and Amir, their live show. It was fantastic. Check out If I Were You. Check out Buckets, which is an awesome basketball podcast that Amir hosts. Also, check out their Patreon. That's where they have Jake and Amir watch Jake and Amir. You guys are just killing it, man. You're doing so many different things. Uh, it's been awesome to see. So thanks again for your time. I appreciate that. Hey, thanks for memorizing those credits. I appreciate you appreciating them. Absolutely. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to stay safe. At greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, which are all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners get 10% off their order when you use the promo code ALEX at checkout. That's A-L-E-X for 10% off your order. They have KN95 masks, cloth masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit greensupply.com. Com today. That's greensupply.com.